Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're new, I'm Charlie, lead pastor here at The Grove. Really glad that all of you are here, especially if you're new, really glad that you're here. And if you are new, you still have some information you always need to know. I mean, around this time, I'm a huge Razorback basketball fan. And I know, right? It's, you don't, you can't. See, here's the thing. People, like, people are coming up to me. But part of me is wishing, like, I had a minute before I had all the social interaction today. But it's like, you can't be disappointed. I mean, it's like, the, I'm proud of them. They did great. Way better, we thought. And it was obviously, it was sad. I know you're sad because I promised I would wear the red and white striped overalls. And now I'm not because we didn't win. But it was great. I mean, obviously, you know, I may have some stronger hot takes that, you know, when you're, when you're frustrated that I, that I share with certain, certain people. But my real, honestly, as serious as I can be, this is my, my public idea, my public thought, man. I really couldn't be prouder, happier. It was, it was a great season. And we're going to transition out here to the real talk. But, like, we've talked about this before, right, this idea of having concentric circles where it's like, like there's, there's things that are safe to say in public, and there's things that you should say in public. And then as you kind of get closer to kind of your more trusted friends, there's things you can be more honest about. And then if that are appropriate to say in smaller settings than they are in maybe more public settings, right? And everybody's like this. I'll take it back. All of you should be like this. Some of you may have zero filters at all, and we'll talk. Maybe we'll talk about that in a different, in a different sermon series where you're like, "Man, if I'm thinking it, I'm just going to say it." It's like, man, we can just do it mildly better than that. I mean, he's like, "Oh man, you got to be, you got to be honest." I'm not telling anybody to be dishonest. I'm just saying that not every thought that pops in your head needs to be shared with everyone, right? And some people, you know, obviously are too, too constricted. You know, and just feel like they can't really be honest with everybody and have to kind of have this, you know, shallowness with everyone. But really, I mean, what kind of what healthy communication looks like, especially if you're struggling, especially if you've got something big that's happening to you, to be able to have kind of these concentric circles of trust where I've got different groups of people that I, I, I can really share kind of what the deepest, darkest fears and desires of my heart are and, and know it will be safe. And again, some people may object to this idea, and I've heard people object to it before, that somehow that there's something inherently dishonest or deceitful about kind of having a public, you know, what you're willing to do or say in public versus what you're willing to do or say in private. But the reality of it is, is that Jesus, in fact, modeled this. And he, he was, he, the things that he said in large group gatherings are very different than the things that he said and did in his most intimate settings. And you see examples of this all throughout the Gospels. You'll have this where, I mean, especially this one, you, you read through it, there'll be these seasons where Jesus is doing all of this public speaking, and it's all in parables. And it's all in parables that we look at now after 2,000 years and all this reflection. We know what they mean. But to, but to them, the people who heard it, this is just like vague nonsense. And he's not saying anything. He's like, well, you know, the, the kingdom of God's kind of like a seed, and you drop it and a tree comes. Great, that's that's great. I don't I don't know what that means. It's like a it's like a farmer who has a whole bunch of seed and he kind of wastes it and he just kind of throws it everywhere and some of it actually grows up. It's really nice. Great, that's helpful. Like and and finally, like his disciples would come to him and be like, "Why?" I mean, they didn't exactly how to phrase it. Maybe I don't read the message. Maybe it's in the message. Like, like, why are you talking to them in such nonsense? Why why do you talk kind of in riddles with them? It, it was it was confusing. And then as Jesus would be in kind of smaller, more intimate gatherings, he would reveal a lot more about who he was and what he was doing. And um, 
you, you see this, like, um, like he's, he's got these, these three guys, right? his, his three most intimate of the 12 disciples, he took to, a, to this mountain and kind of revealed kind of this glory that he had being God. And Moses came and Elijah came. And they're like, maybe we should, where are we supposed to, should we build like little temples here or something? Like what? This? And he's like, and Jesus is like, don't, don't, tell, don't tell anybody about this. And what we'll see when Jesus goes, he's about to be arrested and praying in this garden. He has his 12 here. And then again, he takes a couple of guys. He's like, hey, I want you to be even closer to me. And so we see Jesus in these most intimate settings are the times when he reveals the most about who he is. He's never dishonest, obviously, but he reveals more of who he is in these more intimate settings which really sets the stage, I think, for the importance of this series that we've been doing over the last few weeks, and we'll continue all the way through Easter. We're looking at this passage. It's called the Upper Room Discourse. We're kind of looking at all this teaching that Jesus does right before he's arrested. And what you have right before, like they have what we call the Last Supper, the Passover meal, and then as they're finishing, Jesus, he says he thinks about, he thinks about, his, he thinks about his guys. He knows he's about to leave. He knows he's about to die. He knows what he's about to suffer. He knows the significance of it. And he thinks about his disciples and how much he loves them. And this, these are the things that, he needs to know, that they need to know. And so it really kind of emphasizes the, like, like the depth and importance of what this is. But again, the disciples are noticing. The disciples are noticing that now that we're here in this small room and you're teaching, your teaching is different. The things that you're saying are different than what we're used to hearing out there. And we actually, today's passage starts with a question in verse 22 of John chapter 14. Then Judas said, and it's important for you to know this, right? Because your Bible said there's two Judases and his disciples. They don't say it this way exactly in the Bible, but there's good Judas and bad Judas, right? There's bad Judas that betrayed him, and there's good Judas. And then anytime, anytime it's bad Judas, the Gospels always tell us, hey, it's not bad, it's good, it's good Judas. So that's what we got here. This is good Judas. Uh, verse 22, then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And it's a really good question. He's like, you're telling us all this about who you are and what you're going to do and what you're going to accomplish. You're saying it is, why don't you tell everybody? And there really is this kind of this overarching theme that happens all throughout the, all throughout the Gospels where Jesus is really reluctant in certain environments to really talk about who he actually is. Or he will reveal it and he'll tell us, hey, don't tell, don't tell anybody. Or they'll ask, hey, will you do this great miracle? He's like, man, I don't, I'm, really, I'm not really into that. And there was a hesitancy that it seemed like that Jesus had to be overwhelmingly transparent about who he was and what he was going to do in certain contexts. And so Judas has noticed this, and he's, and he's asking, there's, something, there's clearly something going on here. You say, you're saying more here than you normally say. What's going on? And so Jesus answers, verse 23. Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Now we're going to pause here. we got a bit of a, long, a longer passage here. I just want to pause here. 
Is there anybody here that say, hey, why are you telling this to us and not to everybody? Anybody hear those first few verses and say, that is not really an answer? I just don't want you to be confused. I just kind of tell you that. Hey, why are you just telling us these things? And then Jesus says, it's not an answer. I just don't want you to be confused. Like, he, he has not answered the question. Jesus clearly is answering his own question. He's like, he, they said something. I'm just going to answer my own question. Eventually, we'll get to see something close to an answer. But this is, this is not it. And so really what we've got here is Jesus kind of reframing this idea. Why, 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 do you tell, why are you so honest with us and you're not being like this with everybody else? And Jesus is kind of reframing it. Let me tell you. I'm going to pretend what you said. Like, since it's just us, what is it that you really want us to know? That seems to be the, the question that Jesus answered. Though he will give somewhat of an answer to this question a little bit later. Verse 25. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything. I'll remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you'd be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen... You will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. So Judas asked one question, like, why are you, why are you not telling everybody these things that you're telling us? And what Jesus chooses to do really here, again, is kind of answer a different question. Hey, really is, it is just us. It is just this most intimate group. And here are three very critical things that you need to understand. And he slowly builds through the three of them. When he finally gets to the last one, he does at least sort of answer Judas's question. And we're going we're gonna to save that to the end. He does begin to answer. It's kind of like, but, he, but he's, he's, he's building it. He's building towards this. Here are these incredible, Incredibly critical things that you need to understand because things are really about to change and here are the things that are most important for you to know and in that he kind of at least hints at the answer as to why he's just telling them but there's also something really important to make sure we understand this is kind of general bible study things you need to understand that there is a very different way that people from from in the way that like eastern people from this time would tell a story versus the way that we would tell a story. For us, it's very, every, everything has to be incredibly chronological. And anytime there's movies that are, aren't chronological, they start with the end. And like, there's sometimes there's shows or movies where you're not sure exactly what the, we, those are very stressful and considered art, right? But like, by and large, like a, this happened, then this, then this, then this, then this. That, that's not really, especially in describing a teacher and how, what a teacher teaches, Sometimes things will be a little bit different chronologically. Because ultimately what this ends with is like, hey, here are these really three crucial things you need to understand. And then he ends it with, okay, now let's go. So you'd expect to turn the page. The next thing you know, you would see like them heading towards the garden where Jesus is about to be arrested. But in fact, there's still more teaching that Jesus does here after he says, let's get out of here. And so ultimately the way that this is structured is, 
this is really kind of this huge point of emphasis. These are the things. Now let's go. And then the author here inserts over these next couple of chapters, really Jesus expounding on these three things. It doesn't really say when this teaching happened, but it's part of this same discourse because it really is filling in and explaining these three ideas. Maybe he, he did say them before, maybe he's saying them on the way, or maybe this is just reflections that John has of things that Jesus had said at other times. But regardless, just kind of to help us understand, and really what it should help us understand is how critical this moment and this teaching is. And there are a handful of these in the Gospels where there's a moment where Jesus says, you better make sure you understand this. One of them being the great commandments. When somebody says, what is the most important command in all the Bible? And what Jesus gives as an answer to that is obviously incredibly foundational. The great commission, the last thing Jesus says before he goes to heaven, for good. Obviously, that's of crucial importance. And this, in, in the way that the, the story is being structured, has that same level of weight. This is the last thing that you need to hear from me before my death and resurrection happens. Hear this. Hear it. And so it's of incredible importance to them, and obviously then the same way, incredibly important to us. So the first thing he says, again, the beginning of his answer, verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And so we're going to keep these points really, really simple because, again, this is like a summary that will be able to be expanded upon over the next couple of weeks for us in the next couple of chapters in this story. So we're going to keep them really simple, and the first one is obey. It's obey. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. And if you've been around, like this, this, has, been, this has come up in this passage before. It's going to come up uh, in a significant way next week when Mark is teaching. We've talked about another passage, but Jesus talks about this a lot. The important connection between your love for Jesus and your obedience to him. And so he is emphasizing this, and, and we need to hear this. We need to hear, like, because you say that you're a follower of me. I'm going to be gone and you say that you're my disciple, you say that you love me, you say that you're with me, if you want to be that person, if you want to say that that's who you are, then you will do the things that I've said that you have to do. And that comes to us as well. I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I trust Jesus. Well, then the obvious thing that happens is obedience. And sometimes we really can, we just, we, we, as, as simple as I think it should be, I think because the way that our brain works, some of our hostility or resistance to anybody being able to tell us what to do, or just some, some bad wiring that we have, maybe some, some, some poor teaching that we've received in other places in the past, I think sometimes we just, we overcomplicate this idea. But what Jesus is saying here, if you know who I am and you follow me and you really know me, if you know me and trust me, you will obey me. 
And we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks. Jesus is revealing to them in a very, has revealed to them in a very powerful way who he actually is. I am capital T truth. I am capital W way. I am capital L life. I is this I am construction to connect himself with who the Old Testament God is over and over again, making these strong statements about him being God. If you know me, who I really am, and you trust me, and you follow me, then you're clearly going to obey me. Which again, this you know, again, we we can, we can unravel this pretty easily with several key, simple analogy. It's kind of some several key moments of parenting. And depending on what stage your kids are or, or you've been around kids, nieces, nephews, friends, kids, or whatever, there's kind of these several critical things where this is what you're trying to communicate to them. The toddler season being one of the first ones is like, the stove is hot, don't touch it. And maybe maybe just even me saying that kind of makes your tummy hurt a little bit. No, 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 don't, no, don't put that in your mouth. Right? What are you saying to them in this moment? Like what they can feel is, um, you're trying to tell me what to do. I don't like it. I wasn't planning on touching the stove, but now that you've brought it up, it seems like the best idea ever. <laughs> right? And the thing that you take off the counter and hide up high now becomes the most important thing in the room. I mean, the, the number of times that Lauren at that age, I mean, she climbed a, she climbed a six-foot bookshelf once. She climbed to the top of a refrigerator once. There was no hiding anything from her. And so you're just like, this kid's going to do herself in. But what you're desperately trying to communicate to them is safety. I'm the parent. I'm not trying to control you per se. I'm telling you where safety and life are. And if you know me as mom, you know me, I'm mom. I love you, and I'm mom. You'll trust me when I say, don't touch that. It's for your good and for your best. And then God comes out with a command, and our inner toddler just can't help but come out. Don't do that. Well, now that's exactly what I want. Who's, who are you trying? You can't, you can't tell me. Or, again, maybe we have this mixed up idea where um, that the only, you say you're supposed to obey God, and we imagine God with the lightning bolt, right? You better, you better do this. We don't think of it in terms of trust and love and intimacy. We think of it in terms of punish. When in the reality of it is, the, the best, most passionate pleas that Jesus makes about our obedience come from our intimate love connection with him. If you love me, if you are connected, if you really understand who I am, and if you come here long enough, you're going to hear a lot. You're not going to hear much here about must and should and what's wrong with you if you don't. You're going to hear a lot about the love and the compassion and the grace of God and how much he wants us in relationship with him. But we need to make sure that we also have it in our brain that the very natural next thing that flows out of that is our obedience. 
if I really do understand the love of God, if I really am experiencing it. Obedience is the most natural step. And again, um, in this passage that comes up next week, Mark's got some great things. It's going to expound on this, kind of add some extra kind of ideas to really talk about what it really looks like when we have this kind of intimate connection with Jesus. All right, so that's what he starts with. Hey, why are you telling us these things and not the world? Well, I'm going to say some other things. First, make sure you need to understand that you need to obey. And then the second thing is that he says, hey, listen, I've been here with you, but hey, guess what? The Holy Spirit's coming. And when the Holy Spirit's come, he's going to tell you things. He's going to tell you more things. And he's going to remind you of the things that I've taught you. And you need to learn to listen to him. And so the first thing that he says is you need to be sure you obey and the second thing is you need to make sure that you listen. The Holy Spirit is going to come. I'm going to send him in my name. He will teach you all things. And he will remind you of everything I've said to you. The Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to teach you. He's going to remind you. This is going to be a new experience for you guys. The Spirit of God is going to come. And he's going to come on you. And he's going to be in you. And he's going to talk to you he's going to reveal himself to you he's going to teach you things and ultimately you're going to have to learn to listen to him and this is one of the most critical disciplines that i think that a christian can can learn and this is why it ends up again on jesus big list here you've got a lot more to learn I'm trying to explain some things to you. I'm trying to tell you about my death and resurrection. You keep pushing back on me. You keep disagreeing with me. I'm trying to explain things to you you don't understand. But there's going to become a time when the Holy Spirit's going to come and He's going to help you understand all of this. He's going to remind you of the things that I said and he's going to be, you're going to be able to put it together. He's going to teach you things that I'm not even really able to communicate to you right now because you still don't get it. But he's going to be able to teach you those things. And he's going to bring the things that I did say. He's going to be able to put all of this together. You just need to learn to listen to him. And we find ourselves, again, on the other side of the world a few thousand years later in the same kind of situation. There's things that God's trying to communicate to me that I don't understand. There's pieces that I can't put together. I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. My life seems like it's too much. I'm struggling. I don't know what's next. I don't know what's best. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm in a difficult situation to manage. I feel like I'm in a place where I've only got bad options. I feel like, like fear is, is, is getting me. I, I, and the message is the same. The Holy Spirit is here. God, Jesus refers to him as an advocate. He is, he, and... and He's advocating for both sides. He wants what's best for you. And he's advocating God's message to you. He's going to come. And he'll explain it to you. He'll teach you. He'll show you. He'll help you understand things in the Bible that you don't understand. He'll remind you of things about God that you already know. And he'll help you make sense of the situation you're in. And help advocate what for you is the best step forward. And we need to learn to listen, to hear him. And there have been times over the years, you know, we've got three, three daughters. They're 24, 21, and 10 now. And I've had conversations with all three of them around this topic where they will hear me or someone say that we need to learn to listen to God. We need to hear from God. They'll hear these phrases. And they'll say, they've, all, they've all said to me in different ways, Dad, I don't think I've ever heard God. I don't think I've ever heard him. 
and, and, and they, they think about audible voice. I've never, like I've prayed and I listen, I don't, I, don't, I don't hear anything. So I've tried to explain to them, which is a very difficult concept when you've got very literal kids, but it's also a difficult concept for all of us. What, is it, what does it mean for me to listen? How do, how do I hear from God if it's, if it's not in a voice? And again, just like this idea about intimacy and obedience, um, we're going to be able to explain that next week. In two weeks, Jesus is going to give us even fuller understanding about this idea, about what the Holy Spirit is supposed to do and how He does it and how we are supposed to respond to that. But we'll just as we're kind of introing and just kind of introing this, this idea, I want to help you understand this. You find yourself in a difficult situation. And I'm trying to listen for God's voice. First of all, you need to understand that by design, it seems like you read through the Bible, and when, when the God's voice comes, it always seems to be the quietest voice, not the loudest one. We want it to be the loudest one, but very often it's a whisper. He's trying to get your attention through a whisper rather than a yelling. And for the line, and with, at the risk of making you and me and everyone sound crazy, I think we all understand that when you're going through a difficult time, you're trying to reflect, you're trying to make a decision, you're trying to make sense of something, you've got a lot of different voices in your head, right? There's a lot of different voices. And what I want you to know that if you've put your faith and trust in God through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit is in you, and one of those voices is God's voice. And I think the best way to hear it is by process of elimination. You start learning which voices I'm not going to listen to. The one that is telling you to do something that God says don't do because you, quote, deserve it in some way, I think we can all agree to eliminate that one. The one that, I think you should punch him in the face. Yeah, I think he deserves it. Okay, maybe I want to be friends with that voice. But I'm not going to listen to that voice. I'm going to put that one aside. The one that makes you feel shame. And you need to understand the difference between guilt and shame. But the one that makes you feel ashamed for who you are. That's not God's voice. He will prod you and tell you that what you did was not correct. Or thinking about doing that, that's not right. But he's not ever going to make you feel ashamed for who you are. You think, well, I don't know if I know the difference of that. Well, Part of this also is the discipline. The discipline of learning how to listen and learning to distinguish between the voice that is saying, you shouldn't have done that, I want better for you, and the one that says, you're terrible, you're an idiot, what is even the deal with you? There's a difference between those. And we begin to eliminate those voices, then the encouraging, challenging loving voice of God that whisper can come out and you can hear it and we need to learn this discipline again we're going to talk about this more in a couple of weeks but this is something that we need to be practicing God when I'm reading his word when I'm praying when I'm thinking and then reflecting God's voice is wanting to speak and I need to learn to listen and so finally he talks about our need to obey our need to learn to listen to the spirit and then finally he ends with this verse 28 You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. Verse 29, I've told you now. I've told you now before it happens. So that when it does happen, you will believe. And then in verse 31, he's talking about that Satan's coming. but He's going to try to get me, but he can't. And he says, but he's coming. All this is happening 
so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. So here is we get the closest thing to an answer that Jesus is going to give. And it comes in this final exhortation. You need to obey, you need to listen, and ultimately you need to believe. You need to believe. You need to believe. And this is what he says. He said, listen, I'm telling you this. Judas, I'm telling you this. I'm telling you this so that when it happens, you'll understand it. I'm about to die. I'm about to be arrested. I want you to understand. You need to understand that this is always part of the plan. Other people don't know me that well. Other people don't understand. Other people, if they heard who I really was, you know, this would happen to Jesus sometime. He would say, he would hint or tell who he really was, and they would like, they would, they would kind of rush him and try to, they were trying to make him a king. They were trying to do, he's like, you don't, you don't get it. But I think you guys can get it. You can get it. So I'm going to tell you about it. I'm going to tell you about it so that when this terror, what looks like to you, a terrible thing happens. When it happens, you'll remember that I told you that it was going to happen and that you can know that it was always part of the plan. This was God's plan all along. So I want you to believe. I want you to trust. When you see me die, you'll know it wasn't because the Romans were trying to get rid of a troublemaker. That the, Jews, the Jewish leaders were trying to push out this rival who was causing disruption. That isn't what happened, even though it looks like that's what happened. What happened is, is this really awesome thing that God is doing, where he is reconciling the world to himself. He is forgiving sin. He is bringing life to the world through my death. And then through my resurrection, he's going to show the world that he is the conqueror of death. That way, you'll believe. Hear it. Hear what I'm saying. So when it happens, you'll believe it. And then once all this happens and you believe it and you let the Holy Spirit and you listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say to help you understand more fully what happens. And then because you love me and trust me, you'll obey the things that I've asked you to do. Then what's going to happen is the world will learn. I'm telling you now so that you'll understand. And then you'll listen. And you'll obey. And then the world will know. Let's go. That's what he says. Let's go. Now you get it. Now you understand. Now you understand what's supposed to happen here. And again, with the benefit of hindsight, things are a little bit different for us, but not much. Because the principles are still the same. Hey, um, you know about what Jesus' death is. You read about it, you understand it, somebody's explained it to you, and it is very important that you believe that this is not just the tragic loss of a good man being executed. This is part of what God was doing to bring the world to himself, that his death is a death on your behalf so that you can be restored into a relationship with God through Jesus. You need to believe that. And you need to learn to listen to the Spirit who is desperately trying to explain this to you and help you put the pieces together of how all of this makes sense about what your life now is supposed to be about. And now that I read who, what, what Jesus has called me to be and what he wants me to do and I obey and because of my obedience now the world can know 
But we've got a, some serious action items here, I think. And obviously, when Easter comes in three weeks, we're going to talk about this idea a lot more. And so these three ideas are going to get unfolded uh, even more over the next three weeks. It is important. It is of the utmost importance that you believe that Jesus' death was for you. And then as I trust, as I obey, as I listen, it is of critical importance as well that we take that message to a world, a broken and hurting world that is desperate for it. Let's pray. God, I thank you. Thank you for your son. God, again, I just can't imagine what it was like to have heard these things the first time. How confused we'd be.